Welcome to a special episode of Do Justice, the podcast. Hello and welcome to this special episode of Do Justice, the podcast. My name is Brianne Swan. I use she and her pronouns, and I am Minister for Social and Ecological Justice with Shining Waters Regional Council of the United Church of Canada. Today, December 3rd, is the International Day for People with Disabilities. This annual observance of the International Day for Disabled Persons, as it was proclaimed in 1992 by the United Nations General Assembly, aims to promote the rights and well-being of persons with disabilities in all spheres of society and development, and to increase awareness of the situation of persons with disabilities in every aspect of political, social, economic, and cultural life. In honor of International Day for People with Disabilities, the Reverend Alexa Gilmore, minister at Windermere United Church in Toronto, spent some time in conversation with PhD candidate Elizabeth Moeller about disability, the church, the Advent story, and the assumptions that are often brought forward when one listens to these familiar biblical texts. And we are fortunate to be able to sit in on this conversation. Here is Elizabeth Moeller and Alexa Gilmore. Hi there, my name is Reverend Alexa Gilmore. I'm the minister at Windermere United Church. And I am here in conversation with Elizabeth Moeller, uh, a disabled queer Christian working on her PhD in Disabilities Studies. And we wanted to have a conversation um, around International Day for Persons with Disability. We have had the most fabulous conversations over the years when Elizabeth has come to the church community, um, whether it's in the hallways or at coffee hour or walking through the park. And we thought that some of the wisdom that, uh, well, I thought some of the wisdom that Elizabeth has uh, is too good to sort of keep to myself. And so I was really grateful when she said that she would be willing to to come and uh, and speak with me. So hello, Elizabeth. It's great to have you here. Well, thank you for having me. Hello. Mm. So I wanted to start with... Um, a piece of art that Windermere United Church released this Advent two days ago. Um, I know you've, you've heard about it, but for those who are listening, we were thinking with some sorrow around the fact that the church is closed at this time and wondering how we might go out into the community uh, for Advent. And we came up with the idea of inviting a Mexican-Canadian artist who came here eight years ago as a, as a refugee, Karina Garcia, to create a modern take on the nativity scene. 
So for hundreds of years, different cultures have created Mary and Joseph in their own sort of cultural image. A, a Mexican nativity scene looks very different from one from Holland or Japan. And for our Canadian nativity scene, Joseph is African-Canadian. Mary is Mestiza, uh, like our sculptor um, from Mexico. And um, Mary, being nine months pregnant, is feeling the limitations of the body. She's often depicted on a donkey. Um, and for us, we chose to, to provide her with a wheelchair to give her the freedom that she needed for movement uh, as she travels to Bethlehem. So I wondered, as someone who studies disability, who has you know, a great depth in theology, uh, how did that you know, image resonate or not with you? Um, what do you think, uh, speaking from, from this, the disability community, uh, that, where do you go with that image? What, uh, what do you take from it and where do you wanna go? Yeah, those are some some great questions. Um, you know, I think to, to just step back, I really like how you conceptualized the wheelchair because what you said was give the freedom to move around. And that's exactly how myself and the disabled allies that I work with and advocate alongside and raise our voices in, in community for more inclusion in the community, that is how um, wheelchairs and mobility devices are seen as giving freedom. Quite often um, you'll hear, especially in, in the medical profession, the term confined to wheelchair. But what I think is beautiful about this conceptualization is it uses the wheelchair as a tool to enable participation and to enable movement and to allow, in this case, Mary, to be a part of her community. And so I think the first uh, piece that I wanted to address is just that language around how, in this case, the wheelchair is giving freedom to a person. It's a tool of liberation as opposed to confinement. Um, and you could say that with any number of mobility devices. So in terms of, I guess, what I think about, I think about a couple of things. Um, I feel a sense of pride because quite typically when you think of the nativity scene, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus are depicted in sort of very hetero, white, normative ways. And so this really does a couple of really interesting things in that it challenges our assumptions. Like, how did we know that Mary did or did not have a disability? How do we know that Joseph did or did not have a disability? Um, we don't because we weren't there and the story has been passed down over millennia. So I think what's really special about this is it, it challenges our assumptions and it takes our assumptions about something that we've sort of seen in imagery and in our culture over the years and makes us stop and think, hmm, you know, was was Mary white? Was she not white? Did she have a disability? Did she not? Um, and so I really, I really like that. Um, and it's a sense of, I guess, pride for me to see that um, this image of disability of the wheelchair is being used in such a positive way to facilitate uh, community and togetherness and and travel, which is such a big part of the of the story around Christmas and, and Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem. Um, and I think the other thing that it, it really does in a, in a kind of cool and unique way is it allows us to ask questions. So um, it allows us to say, well, given that we're trying to be an inclusive community, what could the nativity scene look like? 
who didn't traditionally exclude or exclude or include. Um, and now that we're moving into uh, affirming work in a lot of congregations, how can we use this information to sort of take it and turn it on its head and say, well, okay, who, who, whose voices now can we include that haven't traditionally been included in this scene? Um, and so really depicting different voices, different bodies, different images. Um, and like you said in the beginning, the reality is we do know Mary was quite pregnant when she traveled on that donkey. And so um, anybody would have limitations, but I think it's this way of framing those limitations in a way that's um, normalized and really built into um, our everyday culture, and in this case, disability culture, is really, I think, opening up our understanding of what the nativity scene could look like. And I think that's a great teaching tool too, right? We know that Windermere mm -hmm. scene has been traveling the neighborhood. I haven't seen it yet, but I hope to. Um, I hear it's in my neighborhood somewhere, <laughs> hiding out there. And so I think it's a really good teaching tool. Uh, you know, parents walking with small children and stopping and saying, you know, mom or mom or mom or dad or dad or dad, can you tell me, what is this? Um, and then having those conversations about, well, why does it look different? Well, is it different? Well, it's different because of what we know to be the nativity scene. So I think it's a really beautiful depiction in a way that, questions and challenges or assumptions. I really, yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, one of the things that I've been thinking so much about is, um, is where we uh, privilege um, and what kinds of bodies we privilege and where God does, right? God is always doing something new. God sort of subverts the traditional uh, story of power and privilege by uh, having, uh, you know, an unwed uh, pregnant teen bear the light of the world and um, and shows up in a stable uh, in the midst of uh, poverty rather than in a in a palace to to a prince or a king um, and uh, I I really love the idea that we're starting to question as you were saying who gets to bear the light of the world right where does God work and of course God works through every body. Um, all of us bodies. And I also, as a, someone who's had uh, a pregnancy, um, I've come to realize something that I think in the disability community is sort of a, a, a catchphrase of we're all only ever temporarily able-bodied, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and again, that recognition uh, that uh, we have a, a story around who uh, belongs where and that we can disrupt that. Yeah, and I think, to, you know, disrupting those normative assumptions is is a really beautiful thing that's happened through this, this scene because we have so much going on in terms of intersectionality. So, you know, we have Mary and Joseph um, from uh, different cultural backgrounds. We have the disability piece. And I remember I was a part of a, a pageant over at Runnymede where I'm a, a congregant. And one year we had... Um, Mary and we had a female playing Joseph so just disrupting those assumptions and really making people think about why is it the story that we've been told for so long feels comfortable and then mm -hmm. how are we sort of disrupting that by bringing in things that maybe might feel uncomfortable. Well I'd love to sort of disrupt our thinking a little bit more um, by exploring some of the themes that we actually find in the Bible and in hymns um, that 
I think a lot of us are quite comfortable with, but if we were to unpack, we might become uh, a little bit more uncomfortable or at least questioning of. Um, and I'm thinking about the ways in which uh, bodies are used to describe optimal ways of being um, and suboptimal. So Jesus says, you know, I came to bring sight to the blind. Um, and we have a lot of metaphors in our hymns when we're talking actually about spiritual healing and growth, but we, we use the metaphor of, of the body. And I wondered, are there better ways to speak of these, uh, these metaphors, or do we need to stop doing that entirely? I know that um, in, in um, the conversations around race, we're being really careful around light and dark images um, as one being negative and one being positive. And I wondered what your thoughts were. I'd be really curious to hear around the ways in which we, we make some bodies a negative that goes towards the healing wholeness. Um, and how do we challenge that and, and reframe that? Or do we just have to get rid of those metaphors altogether? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because as a person for whom language and how words are used and the power of words uh, is, is very important, I love metaphors, nothing better than a good metaphor. But you're right, it does make me stop and think about the, maybe not so much the denotations, but the connotations associated with those metaphors. So my favorite, one of my favorite hymns is the Pentatonics, Mary, Did You Know? Um, but there's a verse that says, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Um, and so it kind of makes me think, you know, just going into some disability studies, um, concepts for a moment around the medical model and needing to be quote-unquote cured or fixed or healed um, and there's certainly nothing wrong with with an individual wanting a cure or to be fixed but uh, where it gets problematic is that that sometimes is a societal belief that we all need to be cured or fixed because we're not okay the way we are and many of us myself included are uh, very comfortable in a disabled body and see the environment or society as disabling us. And so where I think those metaphors can be harmful is they produce that sort of curative or um, medicalized model of disability. Now, that being said, I think it's in how they're delivered. And so I think certainly uh, you can hear about concepts like blind ignorance, blind justice. And so um, that word has many, many meanings. And so I think it sometimes is helpful to think about like, well, okay, the Bible was written a long time ago and passed down. So we don't actually even know for sure that it was literal sight that was given, but was it perhaps inside or was it perhaps um, healing of the, the soul? We, we don't for sure know. And so I think it's in how conversations are had around those passages. Um, I love that hymn. I still sing it. Um, and I think it's about really reflecting on those words and certainly, you know, light and dark images um, being mindful that neither is bad. Um, you know, sometimes sitting in darkness can be quite beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's about really, again, shifting our thinking and conversations around how we, we see those images. I think where it gets problematic is when we start to talk about 
quote unquote healing, needing to be healed, praying for an individual with uh, an illness or a disability, unless they've asked for it, if someone's asked for prayers, of course. Um, but, you know, the, the um, very kind of traditional approach of you need to be he healed or cured or, or prayed for, so I'm going to pray for you and lay my hands on you. That's where I think um, those metaphors can become problematic because uh, mm -hmm. I think in decades past, that's how they've been interpreted, at least in, in my um, perception and in my sort of experience in faith. So I think it's not so much that they are a problem, it's how they're, they're used. Um, and really kind of thinking about, you know, moving away from sort of um, language around being healed or cured to the, the reality being that some of our misunderstandings and misconceptions might be leading to how we interpret those passages. Thank you. You took me to so many places with that. Um, cool. But one of the one of the things that I that caught my attention was the idea that society disables us. Um, yeah. And I wondered about um, the church, like any other organization, has a building and has ways in which it has said through its building, um, but also through its um, welcoming atmosphere in a worship service or uh, in how it delivers its messages has said uh, who's welcome and who's not. And so we can sometimes think of the traditional or maybe the most easy way to conceptualize accessibility is whether there's stairs or an elevator. Um, but I think there's other ways that we can um, provide welcome or uh, conversely sort of exclude people when they walk into a space and they experience um, something that messages to them that they're not part of that community. Uh, certainly, you know, we've, we've talked about that at our church around uh, cultural barriers and, and what hymns we sing and from what continent and the ways in which uh, the leadership all looks homogeneous or, or not. I wondered, you know, more specifically around, um, around disability and, and accessibility, not simply from a building point of view, but from uh, a holistic communal point of view. Where does that take you? Yeah, I think um, I think it, it's an interesting thing that that sort of um, you know social model idea of of the society or the the building that disables us. But I think attitudes and perceptions can be quite disabling. And so I think um, you know being being reflective, like you said, on on what we're 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 singing and leadership and who's represented, whose voices are not represented. Um, I think one of the challenges certainly that we all know with, with churches and older buildings is the physical accessibility and we have an aging population. So how do we, how do we bring church into the community and make it accessible? And I don't just mean physically, I mean accessible to people who work on Sundays or accessible to people who uh, perhaps aren't comfortable sitting in, in the space we traditionally call a church. And so I think to me, it brings to mind how we see church, like is it just in a building with uh, a clergy or is it really, which I think Windermere does a great job of, uh, bringing church into the community and doing work that includes people who may, for a number of reasons, not be able to be present there on a, on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. That's really important 
And it's making me think of um, how do we help a congregation in that journey towards shifting um, attitudes and um, and ways of being, you know, putting their 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 thoughts, their minds, their dollars towards that true welcome. You know, I, I think about um, how in the church we have begun to have uh, affirming worship services around LGBTQ issues. We just finished having the Trans Day of Remembrance worship mm-hmm. service, and um, and we moved from having Black History Month to having um, the African Canadian culture, uh, throughout the year. Um, I wonder what that would look like to, and whether you feel like that would be a way that congregations might start moving, um, in the direction, like for tomorrow, we're releasing this on international day for people with disabilities, but what would it be like to have a worship service that, um, honored that day or began conversations or um, periodically throughout the year, uh, the continual integration of um, issues that are important and relevant to our full community, including those uh, and even specifically those with disabilities. Yeah, so I think that, um, I mean, the disability community, unfortunately, in this pandemic has been a really strong example of that, has traditionally been silent or left out of a lot of spaces, places, and conversations. And so, um, you know, here I use space and place a little bit differently. So space is like the physical space of a church, a workplace, uh, an educational setting, but but place is more, um, I think can be a little bit more broader. So, you know, has a place in curriculum, for example, or has a place in, for example, um, worship liturgy and hymn lyrics. So place being a bit broader. And so I think um, certainly starting to open up these conversations is really important because I think people don't know what they don't know. And so I don't, I don't believe mm. personally anybody's intentionally leaving anybody out. Uh, and I would certainly hope that's the case, especially in affirming churches. But I think what happens is we don't know what we don't know. And so perhaps mm-hmm. there's not been a lot of, um, instruction or liturgy or curriculum on how to include disability, not just in services, but in Sunday school, um, in teaching and seminary. So I think that's where we need to start is sort of in that place piece around um, including it in in those um, places. And then I I think I would say um, the other thing is around um, starting to have conversations like this. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, having podcasts, having uh, Runnymede, I did a really great talk in June around Affirm, for our affirming group around uh, disability and the, the dictionary of power. And so we had a great conversation and that's up on YouTube. So I think things like that are really important. Um, I think the disability pride march, um, you know, like many churches do uh, gathering groups to go down to different marches. So I think it's a really about consciousness raising, awareness raising, um, <clears throat> And sort of having those conversations around um, how to include disability, not just kind of on a Sunday morning once a year or twice a year, but really embedded in so many things that the church uh, life and the church community does. Wow. You left us with a lot to think about (laughs) and a lot of ways that we could start engaging. I'm so grateful. I knew that this conversation would bear a lot of fruit for, for those listening. 
So for those listening, um, what would be your hope for them? We're in the season of, of waiting and hoping this Advent. What would be your hope for those who are listening today um, and, and perhaps your request or ask for them? Um, yeah, I think in terms of, first of all, a, a request, just really reflecting when you see that image, if you see it in your neighborhood, um, how is it making you feel and, and why is it making you feel the way it's making you feel? And then I think just to kind of reflecting through the, the month on liturgy and uh, what, what messages and maybe metaphors could you see being harmful and why and what are helpful, which ones are helpful and why? So just, I think starting to critically question and examine, explore um, some of our assumptions and our, our feelings. And I think in this time of waiting, um, reflecting and, and kind of starting to have those uncomfortable conversations is really important. Thank you. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It's good to be friends with you, to know you're in the world doing what you do um, and to be the body of Christ with you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Once again, that was Elizabeth Moeller and Alexa Gilmore. And I am so very, very grateful that they offered to share this conversation widely. Links to Windermere United Church, Elizabeth's work, and a photo of the sculpture of Mary in a wheelchair can be found on our show notes by going to www.shiningwatersregionalcouncil.ca justice.